<laughs> she does have a timer, and I'll come back in about 15 oh, minutes. Sounds great. We'll see you then. Okay. Um, and it's set for 12. That's correct, right? Yes. Okay, cool. Hello. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Um, today is October 28, 2018. Mm -hmm. I am at the Austin Archives Bazaar here at Austin Sangarendi Hall. My name is Erica Lees, and I am here with uh, Tanya Estes. Tanya Estes. Mm -hmm. uh, lovely to meet you. No, nice to meet you, too. Um, so did you come today with a particular story you wanted to tell, or? Um, well, it's just, I, I suppose, that not really, actually. I didn't even think about okay, doing an oral history, to... but I was talking with my friend out there who I came with, and she's a librarian friend of mine. Um, we were librarians together. We made it, met at a conference, but... Um, we were talking about how neither of us were from Austin, but we came a long time ago, mm -hmm. and and how much it's changed or what made us feel good about Austin and why we're still here and everything. Well, when did you come to Austin? I came in 1995. I transferred to the University of Texas. From so, where? From Corpus Christi. Okay. And I had never, ever uh, lived away from home before, so it was a big deal, and I was really shy. And so I had known, I had come with my friends before <clears throat> just to poke around, see shows. That's back when there was still like Liberty Lunch and all these really cool venues. <laughs> um, but we used to love to go to places like Book People and they used to have bookstores like Adventures in Crime and Space and a lot of really cool stores like that were around Austin at the time. And so I was not interested in talking to people my first day. I was very nervous. And I went to Book People because it helped me avoid getting to know people in my dorm that first day. I was a little too scared. I outgrew it. But um, that first day, I went to book people, and I picked up a copy of Like Water for Chocolate. And the reason why that was sanctuary for me is because that was a very weird time for Latin American people. Um, we grew up in a generation where there was just no pride of culture. We didn't know anything about who we were. We didn't know we had artists and writers and politicians because it was never part of our curriculum. And my mother had always tried to instill um, some sense of pride. But like everyone else that grew up in the 70s and 80s, we just didn't, I mean, <laughs> in my toy box, I mean, we tried. We, she definitely tried to even find a brunette, you know, but that was not possible in the late 70s and early to mid 80s. And so we had like, um, like the closest thing to a multicultural doll we could find was like from Welcome Back Cotter. <laughs> you know? And so, um, but, you know, right before I moved to UT, Sandra Cisneros had come to Corpus, and my mom, you know, when the, when the talk was over, when she was done reading, Sandra Cisneros had bum-rushed, I mean, my mom bum-rushed the stage to go get her, an autograph and to meet her because it was such an important cultural icon for her. And that told me that there was something I was missing, and, and literally right after that is when I came to Austin and went to book people and kind of found not just sanctuary that first night, but I also, it would like open the door to like a cultural discovery of who I was and where I came from and everything. I knew there was gorgeous people in the movie, but I didn't know anything else about the story. <laughs> so. Uh, well, what about, what about the story opened that door and then what was on the other side of that door? Because I knew what they were talking about with regard to the color, the taste of the food, the, the smells, like the sensual aspects of our, like the descriptive nature of of what she talked about and um, kind of cultural expectations were things that I knew about growing up in South Texas, mm -hmm. and so. Um, and had had you had the experience of seeing those represented before? It sounds like you hadn't really. 
Um, well, yes and no. Like everybody else in my class, I graduated in 91. And my friend Stephanie Greist, Elizondo Greist, actually wrote a book about this called Mexican Enough. Um, but sh it, we all sort of went through the same thing of just ignoring who we were because we didn't think it was something to be proud of. So we didn't grow up speaking Spanish, no matter how hard our parents tried to teach us. Um, we just knew it wasn't something we were supposed to do if we wanted to succeed. And so, um, or at least that's wh what we were made to feel by everything. And, you know, the, the 80s were a terribly capitalistic <laughs> part of our history as well. I think some of that probably played into it. Um, just, but anyway, that, so we, by nature of being in a family, you see and experience certain things, but it's not anything you talked about or even really thought about. Um, so, you know, you might know the food really well, for example, but it's not anything you think thought about, you know, when you're 17, 18 years old, you just sort of took it for granted. Yes, exactly. So I think um, my mom and her sisters were not like some of the characters in the book, but my grandmother certainly was, <laughs> you know, it was familiar, you know. Um, but book so, people was important to me in that. And book woman was a really big deal as well because that was another part of discovery and, and stuff. And so I'm glad to see book woman returned after a small absence in Austin. Mm. So. And, um, and so you had mentioned that that kind of opened a door for you. Mm -hmm. So what, was, what did the other side of that door look like while you were at It was UT beautiful because UT actually had, at, at that time in the mid-90s, um, art from Mexico, and I was an art history major, so art from Mexico was the hottest thing on the market because it was one of the last places where people were creative using mediums that had been around for a really long time, and they were saying and, um, things that hadn't really been heard, or in a, maybe if they had, they had been said in an unusual way on a canvas or in a sculpture or something. And so UT actually has an extraordinary collection of Latin American art, and so as an art history major, I just got to see so much of that, and it was beautiful. And so, again, you know, growing up, I didn't know that we were artists and writers and politicians and movers and shakers and, you know, people that contributed something to the world. And I was looking at it on my campus. I was looking at other people in my dorms kind of going through the same discovery and reading all these books. Like I started reading Anna Castillo and Christina Garcia and anything else I could get my hands on. And I took a Latin American history class and learned all about Che Guevara right when Rage Against the Machine started talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just really exciting. History, yeah. 90s alternative. <laughs> but honestly, if I hadn't come to Austin, that would not have really been available to me. Mm -hmm. It was really having access to, you know, these things on this campus and having access to these things in, um, you know, really cool bookstores and even the libraries. You know, I still worship the Harry Ransom Center. I still go there and I told somebody, I still get dressed up because I feel like, even if I'm looking at Poe's hair, Poe knows I'm there, and I have to look like I'm coming to see him. <laughs> yeah, like they're going to know. Yeah, exactly. So there's just something sacred to me about what what the city and the university and the, and the people and the culture here was able to provide. You know, you would think with a largely Hispanic population in South Texas, that would have been more accessible, but it was actually more suppressed for us down there. So it was really... A beautiful thing to be able to come and, and experience that and further you, from home. Do you remember what any of those, you mentioned some of the, like, the artworks and things mm -hmm. that you saw, do you remember any of those in particular that you saw at UT that were really like... So some things, specific ones I remember, one of them was a, about a Cuban experience and it was an entire exhibition of um, rafts 
that people use to come. And this was like right when I was reading about the Cuban Revolution and all of that. So it was um, it was an art exhibition, but they were using real rafts that people crossed from Cuba to the United States in. And that was really interesting. And then another one was, and it's funny because it was part of a larger exhibition, but this is specifically the one piece I remember, um, which is a, a guy did an image of a driver, his driver's license, but it was Speedy Gonzalez in the photo because that's what people see, you know? And so that really stuck with me because my friend Stephanie's book is Mexican enough is what it's called. And, and it's sort of this idea that we are a part of a generation that's stuck between not being Mexican enough for a lot of people in Hispanic culture or Mexican culture, but what everyone else sees is still too Mexican. So it's just kind of interesting that we're this weird limbo generation, you know, that tried to kind of, even in our self-discovery and rediscovery of our culture, it's still not enough, you know. I still don't have an accent, and I can't go get one. It would be inauthentic, you know? What, so, what kind of accent do you mean? A Hispanic accent. Oh, okay. So, you know, or, or not even speaking Spanish, you know. You, we can, when, we, my, my, when my friends and I try, there's still an accent, like an American-sounding accent to our Spanish, no matter how much exposure we've had to it. So that's, it hurts, you know, when people criticize that, no matter how hard you try. So, but it, I still, I'm very happy that I had the experience. And again, Austin and UT and book people and book women and those really cool places were able to provide that, you know. And that's just interesting to yeah. me <laughs> that, no, that, I mean, that South Texas couldn't provide that. But. And it's also not, I think, a, a perspective about Austin that you hear a lot. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned one of your professors at UT. Do you remember who was that person? Did I mention a professor? Uh, yeah. I, I know a professor, my, my absolute mentor is a woman actually I had in Corpus, and she is half Spanish and half American. And she used to talk like this, and she used to say, Tanya, you are my greatest student. And I just worked so hard to try to impress her. Like there was, I was never going to turn in a paper that I didn't work my hardest on because she would see something that was less than the best and that I could give her, and I was not going to do that. But she was actually really important because when I came up to UT and I had a professor who took one of my papers and said, you need to go sell real estate because art history is not for you. I was crushed and I called her and she's like, that is misogynistic. You are not going to, <laughs> she's like, you are still my top student. And she really gave me in her teeny tiny little Spanish accent, gave me a talk that said, don't put up with that. You turn around and do what you did for me. And I did. And then a month later, he told me to wait after class when he was handing out everybody's papers and said, professor. yeah, and he said, this is the best paper out of the entire class. This is exactly what I wanted you to turn into me. Like, you proved me wrong. Like, he made it a point after 300 kids to pull me aside and say, this is, this is the work of a real art historian. So it was her pep talk, though, and, you know, and it, and it helped that she was also a woman for that. So, you know, that is misogynistic. <laughs> she, she's so cute. That's, <laughs> but she's really strong. Beautiful. And yeah. That's really beautiful. <laughs> thank you. Well, that sounds like a great place to wrap up. Actually. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Well, thank you so well, thank much. Thank you for this opportunity. So, yeah, I am. Um...